0: Welcome everyone to our 15th episode of our Genuine Men's Weekly Zoom Live. I am super excited by our guest speaker today because he's just phenomenal. Um, Before I get into who the guest speaker is and what the topic is, let me tell you a little bit more about Genuine Men and what we're doing, just in case if you haven't been um, tuning in. So Genuine Men is a movement consistent of a show, a podcast, a workshop, and now weeklies and lives that express the often unheard honest views of men from various backgrounds, cultures, religions, and life experiences. It's also a rare opportunity for men to have a platform where they can share their views, their thoughts, their perspectives, and obstacles in life with other men on topics that impact them, their families, their communities, and society as a whole. It's an unfiltered and unadulterated look at what life is like from a man's perspective. Hi, I'm Riham. I'm your host and a genuine men's chat um, coach. Today's amazing topic, I must say, for all you footballers out there, is how football saved my life. And I want to take a minute to just reaffirm the goal of these Zoom lives. Um, the goal here is to create a safe and interactive and even an engaging space for men to learn how to redefine their purpose, redesign the way that fulfills their purpose in their relationships, in their careers, and in their lives. So, with that said, I'd like to welcome our esteemed guest, Paul McNeil. Welcome, Paul.
1: How are you doing? doing well?
0: Yeah, lovely. Lovely Good. to have you here today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. A pleasure. A total pleasure it's thank all, you.
0: It's all mine I have to say. <laughs> um, it, so oh, let no me <laughs> let me properly introduce you now mm-hmm. uh, if I will. Um, so Paul is, um, is the head of community development for the Scottish Football Association. He discovered he was dyslexic in 1987, struggled at school, returned to full-time education at the age of 24, obtained degrees from um, Abertay and Glasgow University, Currently in his role within the Scottish Football Association, he manages all the grassroots projects that are delivered via the regions which increase participation levels, develop uh, club and uses football to promote s- uh, social change, sorry. Paul also champions the positive aspects of dyslexia and delivers talks about the, this throughout Scotland. He also creates school workshop projects called Mission Superhero. <laughs> Welcome, Paul.
1: Thank you, thank you. It makes me sound, um, I didn't even know I did all that. So, <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I look, I look forward to learning more about it and sharing oh, it with oh. our viewers today. Absolutely.
1: Um, I, if you're okay, would just like to share Take this away. journey, if that's okay. Um, Absolutely. Um, hold on, can I just put this up? So, is it? No.
0: I have to say, you're our first PD, uh, uh, your first point, uh, PowerPointer um, oh. as our guest. So we're super excited for anybody that's on our podcast. It's going to be uh, on our YouTube channel. So you can see the entire PowerPoint presentation there.
1: Um, no, really cool. fantastic. Well, I'll go through this. And if there's any uh, questions that, that you want me to reaffirm as, as we go, I will go doing this. The, the title is always um, the power of football and, and hopeful for the next... 15-20 minutes I'll, I'll explain what, what that kind of means or the terminology or why I, why I use that um, but I think it's always um, really important that you, you kind of introduce and you tell about your background and you say who you are because people will go well, who are you to say these things or who are you and, and what is it so um, I'm 45 years young because I don't like the, the terminology old.
0: Absolutely.
1: Uh, I, know, I know I think when you start to use the terminology old you have to pay your own mortgage and Cook your own meals and, and a lot of things like that. So, so I think you, you kind of have to kind of use terminology much more positive. Mm-hmm. I think as you you alluded to i mean, the the head of uh, community development Scottish FA, which I'm very proud and privileged to to be. I think it's it's, it's a great role and I, and I love um, that job. I'm Barry to my 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 beautiful wife Julie that you can just see in, in the picture there. And I think the, the bottom bullet point actually probably reaffirms the the one the, the second bottom bullet point. Uh, I'm dyslexic, that's why I always forget. There's no a comma actually between because my kids are she and Isabella, not she Isabella. So <laughs> you kind of just go. So I do have a a, a learning uh, disability that, that I've had, and I'll, I'll kind of mention a little bit about that as you go. But I think it's really important that you're you're as open and you're as honest because sometimes it, these struggling things in life, you, you uh, people forget to say, and then somebody says, well, uh, uh, and if, if somebody can be more positive about speaking about well or not is. a disability or it's a challenge or it's anything in your life that you find uh, difficult then it's important that you you say that out loud because once you start to say it then another person who maybe not be as confident will say well i'm the same so maybe it's not as as tricky i always put this up here because it's um it's a bit of a mantra The, the world can be a complex and crazy place and we wake up some mornings and think oh my goodness why why has this happened why is that going on but I think you have to not worry and be happy about a, a number of things that you do in, in life and in society, because sometimes putting that smile on your face is, is the one thing you can take a, a positive step forward. So for me, I've kind of tried to live with this for the best part of the last um, maybe 10, 15 years, because it, that positive mindset helps you, um, even though when you don't really want to have MD helping you, which is can be quite quite a number of times. So, it a little bit of journey because I grew up in a different world to a, a lot of people um, now. I was born in um, 1974, um, the black and white picture there is probably my house when I was growing up, you know what I mean, everything was black and white in the 70s, it was nee, there was no nee colour, that was including your telly, you had one telly in your house, um, I think I say down there there was only three channels in it, so even my kids think that's a bit nuts, they say how do you, how wh- wh- where was Netflix and you thought no, that. You know, what was you know,
0: Netflix I mean, exactly? I
1: mean, you pressed a button to turn your channels, which was bizarre.
0: And we so, had snow too, don't forget.
1: Yes, we had a lot, a lot of things. So I've got a sister, Audrey Ann, my mum and dad were, were Anne and Hugh McNeil. And I say, I, I grew up with no mobile phones. You put 10 pence in a thing and fold it outside. I mean, it's just, it blows kids' minds if you think about the change of the world that we live in. There was no internet, it didn't exist didn't you couldn't google stuff you went to libraries you had to find stuff you had to chat people's doors so it was a different way of life it was a different way of life that I, I grew up in and that had its challenges that had its positives and there's a little bit where you have to kind of look at that and reflect on that and say well why were they challenges why were they why was it a different world but it, it was a completely different world it's it's like the, the bottom picture in there is is my local PC. I mean, you couldn't put that in your pocket and walk away. The phone was tied to the wall, remember? It didn't come with you. You didn't as soon as you left the house, you were uncontactable. So a completely different world. So but the bit that I think is really important is is to set kind of bits of scenery. How do you set scenery in terms of what people people think? So what were my what were my early challenges in life? Well, I alluded to that I'm dyslexic, that, that was a big challenge. I think a big challenge for any young person is when you start school. That's when the the challenges become quite there because you become slightly independent. You're left from your parents and you go somewhere and and that's where you evolve and develop and and find who you are. But they can be quite challenging. For me, these were the big ones. So my writing and spelling was horrendous in school. Really, really bad. Really, really bad. And I found that reading out loud quite difficult. Now, you've got to think this is primary school. There was no... But he's saying that I was dyslexic. I was basically just cast aside as a as a problem child. That was the label that was given to me. You're a problem child. You, 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 you won't amount to much. You, you shouldn't have any ambition you do that because it's the 80s here. Well, it's the late 70s, early 80s. And it was really just quite a hard, tough environment to grow up in. School was completely was completely different. I mean, it was, there, was, there was actual violence used towards kids because teachers would hit children. It was still you know, the, the, the kind of belt and the, the kind of hit the, the only kind of just been outlawed. And if you think about that to the modern era, it, it's quite bizarre that that was allowed to happen. So it kind of it kind of mentality-wise, it, it kind of impacted on you because you thought, hey, man, an adult is allowed to use physical aggression against me. That must be correct. That must be the way that I then should go forward in my life. And if there's a problem, I'll use physical aggression rather than anything else. So I think the other two kind of points that are just on that slide there was, I find myself really lost in this kind of classroom environment, there's people who were quite able to go and do things. And I was still finding the process really difficult, I always kind to see the one about, the teacher was saying, "If you got, if you got an, uh, giving things out? And I was saying, I've got it, I know the answer, it's an A, it's an A." she says, Paul, we're on W. Where have you been? And it was just the process, and so I found that quite complicated. I think it had quite a negative impact on my education. My mum would always say, and fight my corner, to say, it's quite a bright kid. Why? And they say, oh, no, he's not. He's not. He's just, he's just a troublemaker, and he's just this. But it was because I couldn't process the information I had onto the traditional way that we would learn, so I was a failure. And that and that was how I got lost in confused. So it was quite difficult, it was quite a, an, an emotional period of time. This picture up here is um is one that I throw in a lot of times because um it, it, it's kind of that alluding to when I when I found football or I found the the bit about it. So I am um, I fell in love with football through a variety of different ways, and it was probably a, a bit of a white line of safety. I talk about it. So what happened? Well, as you grow older, the the school janitor who was um, a fetchman known as Huey Bell, so he was the school janitor there, he picked the football team. So by the time he got moved up the the age groups, I was really, really struggling. I had no kind of concept of school and then education. I didn't know why I was there, I'd cry a lot, I'd throw out a lot. And uh, there was two things that happened simultaneously. One being the the school janitor said, um, we're going to pick the football team. So when you got to a certain age in the school, it was primary primary six in, in my school, the, the school football team it was a big deal it was like the biggest deal in the world the school football team getting picked and would you get in it and so on and so forth and I always remember the janitor sitting all the boys down it was a boys you remember but it was only boys that played football and girls were, were sent to play netball. there was a very definitive divide in the school it's all thank goodness it's changing but it was a very definitive divide. So we all sat down and there was a bit of a uh a, a kind of hierarchy so all the kids who knew what they were doing, they all got the kind of glamour position. So they kind of went like So So I always remember it, Michael Allison said, I'll go in goals. And Chris and said, I'll go and play right back. And all the glamour, Rob, Robert McBrien and Smudger all went up front. So they all got the glamour positions. And then there was of just everything that was left. And the Giants said, who wants to play left back? But I didn't know what a left back was. I had no idea. And my best mate at the time, Smudger, now everybody has a best friend in their life who is Smudger who is the best-looking guy at school. He's the most cleverest guy at school. He's the guy that's got the three-stripe Adidas when you've got the four-stripe Adidas. And your mum's going, you're really lucky to have that extra stripe, not realising you're getting bullied at school because you have this stuff that's not really official and and it kind of embarrasses and you get bullied because of that. So Smudger, I always remember him at a really kind moment. He leaned over at me, you play left back, and don't worry about a thing. All you ever need to do is win the ball, and I'll be very near to you, and I'll take it. And you'll be fine. I thought that's really good, brilliant. And that went on for a number of years. He just looked after me, so anytime I could need him, he would appear. And he was the best player, one of the best players in the team. So all I needed to do was stop somebody and give him the ball. But for me, I found a sense of purpose. I found a football field. I found something that made me feel good about myself. And all the bit there, when they white lines the safeties, I crossed them old school stuff could stay away for a period of time. Nobody could get to me. It was kind of like a wall I could go, this is really good. I feel better about myself now because I'm here. And that hasn't, that doesn't happen just now. And when I went back across, I, could, I would have to deal with all that again. But it gave me a purpose in my life. So it was really, really good. The second thing that happened simultaneously was my, um. you probably, um, if, if nobody knows who St that a very provincial club in Scotland, they're a very small small club so actually probably in modern years what my dad did to me would be actually probably classed as kind of child abuse to be brutally honest he made me a St Martin fan because it's a generation that comes down isn't it you your dad your dad makes your dad this one and it comes down and you just pass it on It doesn't matter you don't have a choice of what team you support that's what you do yeah so yeah he, he always, yeah so it, it doesn't matter he just you, that's your bat and that's your your badge you have to wear that i don't really care so As a normal ritual or a male ritual, um, predominantly probably in Scotland, you go to your first game, and this is the stadium that's the picture that that you see, the old stadium, we now have moved as a club. But it was an old rickety stadium, and I always remember going to the very first ever game, going along, I'd started kind of light football when it was there, but you'd never been in a game, and you went along and it was a ritual where you walked along the streets, your dad went into, the, went into the local pub for a couple of pints, you saw sat outside freezing and eating bags of crisps because that was just the way of the world. But that was a tradition and that was okay. Went along and I always remember walking up this hill, there's a, there's a hill that's just on the stadium and you walked up and as you weird round, that was the very first time you'd seen the stadium. I remember seeing this big green thing and lights on it and we're like, what's that? it's the football stadium, what are you talking about? Why are you so excited? So another thing, I, I kind of went on and I played and I played and I enjoyed football. I was rubbish at it. But people bailed me out and helped me and I kind of felt good about myself. And there was a number of good things happened in that that kind of era. What's the most important thing about supporting St Murn? The one thing was I got to about, it was 1987. I was probably about 12, 13 years of age. And we went along to a, a Scottish Cup game. Scottish Cup third round, never forget it went along, cold January morning, uh, January afternoon, sorry. And then we went and Superborne played this game. And I always remember coming out of the stadium. Um, if people know, uh, Rangers Football Club at the time can real big superstars in their team. And um, and that Saturday afternoon, of Rangers getting knocked out of the Scottish Cup and Superborne had won. We were going through. So we were going through the next round. But remember, there's no mobile phones. There's no Twitter. There's nothing. That doesn't exist. You have to listen to the Tanoid that's getting shouted the results as you walk out of the stadium. So we found out this result had went on and Rangers are getting knocked out. I'm a young little dreamer, I a boy. I remember pulling my dad's jacket and he went and said, what is it, son? And I says, do you think we can win the cup this year? And my dad's always done, I always remember, put your hand and You know something? You just have to believe. And as we walked out, I always that was in my head, but he's giggling his other friends because he knows we're a wee provincial club. We have no chance of winning the Scottish Cup. We've tried for many a year, and I think it's been 1959 since the last time we'd won it. So here we went on in the weeks and the months passed, and we went through another round of the Scottish Cup, and we threw through another round of the Scottish Cup. The next time we're in the semi-final, we've made it to the semi-final Scottish Cup. We're going to Hamden Park, we're going. So we go, and we play Heart and Reloadion, and we put them out. We're in the final of the Scottish Cup. It's just like this incredible moment as a young boy who dreamed of this thing and, and all of a sudden something happened. And I'm playing football as well, so you can think about the two things here. I've got this dream of making it as a football player that's better than my life at school because that's horrendous. And your club's made it. And you can just kind of go, wow, I'm going to go. We went to play in, uh, and people might or might not know that, the year in the eight, seven, we played Dundee United. Dundee United were in the UEFA Cup final. They beat Barcelona home and away. And I was going, how can we Beat them, so we go to the game, and it's a different era. Remember, it's a different era when you're going to oh, this game. It wasn't, it wasn't like there was no tickets. You had to just turn up. There was people were drinking and smoking as they were coming into the game. There was no seats; it was all terracing. It's a different world. I always remember walking up in the stadium that day, and my dad and a few of his friends, and we got there. There was horses, and it was a bit of a different world. I mean, it was a very male-dominated. Very few females would have went to the games. So we got in and you had to queue up to turnstile because you paid by cash. And I always remember, like close, and your dad's and going, Stay close, stay close in case you get lost. And we got really near the front. And I always remember, just before we went on the stadium, he just put his hand on my shoulder and he said, I need you to do one thing today. I need you to believe. That's it. Just believe, okay? Went through the terraces, no problem. Worst game of football ever. Worst game of football ever. I think we were all kind of going, oh my God, can this finish? But we go to extra time. And then in the 110th minute, Ian Ferguson knocks the ball down, runs through a goal, slams it the back of the net, and we win. We win the Switch Cup. And I always remember it just as the ball hit the net, my dad grabbed me and he put me above his head and he started shaving we did it, we did it. And it was an emotional moment. It was this kind of fantastic moment in your life that something unbelievable would happen. And it was it was fantastic because for me, it was just this culmination of life was rubbish. Education was rubbish, I was getting bullied and tortured for not being able to spell or doing all that. Teachers were really battering me down. But for that one moment in the sun, the dream came alive and it just it just stimulated to keep going. So it, it's it's a fantastic moment in your life. But what happened next was, of course, I motored on and, and, of course, didn't do very well at school. Pretty, pretty rubbish, if I'm being brutally honest. School system wasn't for me, I found it really difficult. People would laugh at me. Can you spell cat, wee man? It starts with a D. All these type of things. Teachers would write me off at school reports. He's not going to go anywhere. I wouldn't, really be, I wouldn't really be advancing him in anything, shape, or form. So they were all quite difficult periods in my life. And then I left school potentially when I was 15, just coming up for the end of fourth year. With very limited qualifications. Going in to become a, an electrician. They dreamed it all went. So the five-year-old dreams that we all probably have, and we all were probably rolling down when we were at primary school, didn't we? Probably rolling down. What do you want to do when you grow up when you're five? And mine was I wanted to be the first person to land on Mars because we landed in the moon, so Mars didn't seem that far away. And then to get back for the weekend to Captain Scotland to the World Cup final. Because when you're five, you can do whatever you want, but they'd been crushed. They'd been kind of thrown out and here I was as a mid-teenager leaving. But when magical moment happened again and it's through football but everything that was negative there was always these people could wrap around me and help me and football was that kind of anchor that just kept me in the straight and narrow because i could have probably went left but i'm right and and my life could have spiraled out of control so what happens next well what happens next is i I play for this particular um football here, and um it's just a, a normal grassroots football team And we do we have a fantastic season the season i've left school we have a fantastic absolutely incredible season we win the league and on a wednesday night summer's wednesday night we play in the league cup final so we we can have the chance to win the league and the cup unbelievable brilliant so he turns up and it's one of those overcast scottish nights a little bit cold meant to be the summer but the sun's decided it's snow coming out to play so it's an overcast night and we're going to play in this game and the team we're playing against are overrunning us. so we're 1-0 down. I think we were, we were potentially 2 nothing down, leading up to half-time, and we claw a goal back. we have been absolutely dreadful. And our manager team goes, look, guys, this is the last game you will play this season. Just don't let you, don't let it go out with us. Be positive. Go back out there. Didn't shout at us, didn't abuse us, didn't do anything. Just look. Remember what you have done for the last number of months. Go out there and just leave it out there, try your best, that's all I'm asking. So we all went back out, we got it back to two each. Now, remember what I said a a few minutes ago, I was rubbish at football, I'm still told I play in defence, this has nothing to do with it, I just wasn't very good, so I'd always been told a few few very vital rules that was going on, one, you get the ball and you give it to somebody who's better, that seemed to be okay, I could kind of understand that, and never ever cross the halfway line. Okay, your job is to defend. That's it. Give it to the better players. Don't get, don't do anything really too too technical at the other end of the part And it worked for a number of years. It was all right. Smudge, you know that had told me all that, so that was fine, no problem. The eighty fifth minute in the game, big Doogie Gordon wins a header in our area, and the ball bounces to me. So I do what I'm programmed to do. I look up, take a touch, and I try and find the best player in your team. So I take two touches, and I see Craigie Lane, and I know Craigie out in the wing, he's our best player, and I hit the ball as hard as I can to Craigie. I think my job's done. The only problem is, two things happened. One being, the whole rest of their team had realised that Craigie was so good, they all ran to try and make sure they could get the ball off him. But for some reason, my brain that night decided I would become Forrest Gump, and I just started running in a straight line. No idea why. Couldn't tell you why. Craigie gets swamped by all their players and he decided to do the most stupidest thing in the world. He played the ball back in front, which was my run. Now, I was running up the halfway line. I, I, I went, I wonder what happens if you go across the halfway line? So that night, I decided to go across and I didn't blow up, which was quite useful. But I took a touch in the ball. Simultaneously that, my manager shouted, pass the ball to Benji, which I couldn't really hear. So I turned around to say, what did you say? Just then I took this horrendous big touch in the ball, which was quite lucky because their big centre-back player came sliding in, missed me, because I have took this horrendous touch, and I jumped over him. And I went, by this time, I looked up, and here was somebody in yellow looking very angry running towards me. And then I realised I didn't know up until that point there was two goalkeepers, because I'd always been in the other goal. So I went, he's looking very angry. And I did what the most technical thing in football is to this day. I closed my eyes, I swung my leg back, and I hoped... And when I opened my eyes up, the ball was soaring up and over the goalkeeper and it bounced in the line and bounced in. 3 2 to us. I spiraled round and, like the chariots of fire, I ran up because I had no idea. I'd never scored a goal in my life. I ran up the thing, could see my dad right in front of me. And I was going running towards him to give him a big hug, and just then big Doogie gog and whack me at the side and that crumbled in the ground. And all the players bailed on top of me and they were all going, Yes, we've done it. We've done it. have <laughs> There's no way we're going to lose now. There's a couple of minutes to go. And I was this, I was pulling myself up. A hand came down and and it, it pulled me up. And I looked up and who was it? It was my best mate from school, Derek smudger Smith. He was the sub that day. And he went, hey, man, you're a total legend. Where did you learn to do that?" And I went, "I don't know. Close my eyes." <laughs> he just laughs. He's like, "Kind of
0: skills, exactly." I Aye,
1: mean, you I, always got luck. Luck's better than anything else in the world. So he was this defining moment that I felt really good. I became player of the year that season. Didn't deserve it, but. Um, I think just based on one moment. But, but the beauty of, of a sport and of everything else, it was just, it made me feel good. And I feel good about who I was.
0: How did that ripple into other parts of your life at that moment?
1: Well, here's, here's, where, here's where the probably, the, the bit, it never actually happened. So what actually happened at that probably point in time was that I didn't really, it was a moment, I, I just felt good. At least I had football. Everything else was rubbish. I was now in a shipyard. I was in freezing cold. I was 16, 17, 18 years of age. I was freezing cold. I still had football to keep me in the straight and narrow, so at least I didn't I didn't go down another route of, of maybe doing something that I shouldn't have done. But these positive influences on my life kept me in the straight and narrow. So I trained twice a week. I played on a Saturday. I met lots of friends, so on and so forth. However, on the other complete side of my life, I'm in the shipyard. I'm freezing cold. And I've kind of, I'm, I'm not even 20 yet. And I'm thinking, where do you go? And I'm just looking round about shipyards. I'm looking at my dad. They're all heavy drinkers. It's just, you kind of just think, is that your life? And you kind of creep your way into that. You kind of start to think, you know, something. Maybe this is how you love your life. You just, at the weekend, you go out. So by the time you get 19, 20, you think, that's it. That's what you do. That's that's what you are. you are. You are just shipyard worker don't get ambition, the teachers were right. So let's just go. So you live your life like that. You don't live your life with ambition or thinking you can go and do anything else because society has driven you down into thinking that what you are is a nobody.
0: So it's self-fulfilling prophecies almost. If we as as humans believe the negative messages that we're given, and then we don't combat them within ourselves within our minds or within our hearts then we kind of live that out is what you're saying
1: absolutely absolutely so then the other big defining moment was unfortunately i was 21 22 years of age my father takes his own life so it's quite a tragedy moment the one bit about that was my my dad uh, takes his own life but he, t- he he wakes up it's at christmas so it's, it's uh, the first week in December, but he, he, he takes an overdose, he wakes back up. So he's, he's really struggling to, to go and, and do things in life and then so on and so forth. And it takes a period of time when he fell into a coma and so on and so forth before he passed away. And there was one moment when I got to speak to him about the, the last kind of moments and he just always said a few words, which I thought were there. He said, I love you. I'm very proud of you. And I'm sorry, I let you down. And they kind of struck me quite hard, but it was kind of at that moment where a lot of things kind of washed over me. And you're right about that self-fulfilling prophecy. I felt really rubbish about myself and so on and so forth. So as an early 20 year old, I'm still a wee deaf kid. I'm not a grown-up, 20 year old, 21 year old. No, I'm no grown-up. I don't have enough in me to understand how to go on. So I kind of just drifted through life at that point in time. And it, and it was really challenging. I'm lucky in two things. I'm lucky in a, in, a, in a few things. One, I'm lucky I've got the best mum in the world. I've got the, the greatest mum that that has ever lived. And um, she's just a complete and utter guardian angel. And she looks after me, she makes sure. And um, the reason that that's what there is in high sunshine is my mum still calls me a little ray of sunshine. My wife laughs when we go to Morrison's and they'll come out the cafe and she'll say, See you later, my little ray of sunshine. And my wife will, Do you know if I get embarrassed then? Embarrassed? Yeah, you're going to laugh. Who wouldn't want to be called a real sunshine? So that had always stayed with me. Now, a few other things that are on here is um, my dad and my mum, although I was struggled with education, taught me a lot of stuff about society. So they taught me about the Berlin Wall coming down, about the Nazi occupation, about things like that, that as a child, really probably my dad shouldn't been talking to me about, but he felt that it was his duty to explain society to him to me, um, when Nelson Mandela walked free, tell he, he, he there was a slight racial issues um, within Scottish football uh, back in, in, in the, the the early 80s, and a, a black boy called Mark Walter signed for Glasgow um, Rangers and played a few games with people through bananas at him, quite a well-known story, and at that moment in my time, my dad sat me down and didn't probably do the archetypical, which was shout me and say, that's wrong. He sat down and he, he spoke to me and explained apartheid in South, in South Africa. He spoke to me about Martin Luther King. He 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 made me understand the subject matter, not just simply saying that that's wrong. So yes, he was saying it was wrong, but he explained to me what the parts of that were wrong. He, he explained to me that, that in society, that people, so he was a big socialist. He didn't achieve his... Mantra was always, he get beat by the system because he couldn't get out of where he was coming from because you just, you're just you not meant to escape. You're not allowed to escape. So he always said that um, and he, he spoke to me politics and about how things are. The one other thing down there is one of my mum's kind of things. you says, sometimes it's the smallest decisions that can change your life forever. So there's one moment in my life that, that happened. I worked in a shipyard and, um, uh, and one of my last jobs, uh, well, it was my last job before I, before I left and um, we worked for ESL, and um, don't worry, I wasn't really that important, I was in charge of the keys, just in case you thought I was really open, no, I wasn't. So, what happened was, I was working, I was still an electrician, my life was really going nowhere, I had ambition to do, stuff. I kept saying it, and people kept saying, you'll never get out of here, you, you know where your life's going, that's it, you won't get out, and they used to like, you have to leave, and I would go, and say, Paul, every day has a... a, a uh, an ambition to kind of leave, but we don't get to do it and i was like oh. so i just kind of accepted that i was probably like 24 25 and this uh, american came over he was the chief exec of ms um, or well, probably managing director or something like that anyway he came over to scotland because of the ship we were working on had a lot of problems and he was to sign the big check off to say right can it go for this 300 million pound investment into it or not and he came over and 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 I was to show them round. That was the only reason I had the keys. I was in charge of the keys and the things. So everybody was used to go round about with them, and I would go and show them round about where, where we were going. And it probably was there for three or four days. And we kind of after a couple of days, we got to know each other. He was a big like, sports fan. I was a big sports fan, so on and so forth. And we chatted and so on and so forth. And I always remember at one particular day that it was just me and him. People there was my big mistake. People went off, and and we just had a we were having a bit of a chat and he was telling me about his life he was saying that he didn't want to be in the industry he was in and i was i thought it was bizarre because he was very well to do and made a lot of money he says no policy my ambition was to be a quarterback uh for american football team and he said i had a scholarship and i went to america i was one of the best quarterbacks i was going to really make it i was there my scholarship was engineering but i was making it i i, I, I would have made it and i was like oh, what one of my uh, sophomore years, I take a really bad shoulder injury. Throw the ball, bad, bad shoulder. Career's over. And I just motored on and became, um, worked in this industry because that's what I was going to do. And he says, but that's just the way of the world. And I always remember he leaned over at me and said, but don't worry about it. He says, I've got a dream. Me and my mate are going to buy an American football team and we're going to run it ourselves. And I might never get my dream, but I might get the Super Bowl, I might buy it. And I remember <laughs> busting out laughing and saying, I bet I cost millions of pounds to buy an American football team. And he said, ah, but you've got have a dream. And I remember him pointing right at me and saying, what's your dream? And in this one moment, a bit of a tsunami went over and I, I don't know why, I bluffed it out again, I wanted to land in Mars. And I just went, boom, I became five. And he went, what? I said, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Fast forward about a, f- a few months and weeks, I decided that day I would, I would just chuck it. I just threw the towel and I thought, do you know something? That's it, I'm leaving. And I remember people going, you'll never leave. And I left I left the shipyards eventually, walked out, decided that was it, and went back into um, full-time education. I realised that not having any f- any qualifications was a wee bit of a challenge to get a uni. So I had to go back to college, I had to relearn, I had to do all that. And so I decided at that one moment I was going to change my life. Uh, and, and, and that's and that's what I do in dreams.
0: What a pivotal moment in your life, I have to say. I mean, not many men uh, have the courage to actually change their world with such a big decision. You're altering the 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 direction, you know, of of your entire future. How did you find the courage to do so? I, th-
1: I think I think it was more. I remember going home and saying to my mom, "I wanted, I want to." Wait. She went, well, I, I said to you, if you ever wanted to follow your dreams, just go for it. And she, and she just let me go. And, and I just decided, you know something, I'm going for it. I'm, I would like to have worked in sport. I'll give it a try. And if I roll a double six and I don't get there, at least I have gave it a try. And I went, and it was really hard. But everybody I'd met throughout my life in this football football just pat me in the back going, you'll do all right. That's brave you. Well done. Good on you. Good on you. And it was just these wee moments and you kind of thought, well, they believe in me, I can do it. And the people I met through lecturers and everything, just kind of just every wee step became a little bit easier, a little bit easier. And then I eventually completed my h my degree. And the next thing I knew, I was in, in, in a different industry and I was enjoying it. And I was working with people. I was a youth worker. I could have an impact on some young people's lives. I was quite good at it because I was reasonably understanding of where they had came from and how the challenges they had. So this guy, they would say, oh, but you don't understand, oh, no, no, I'm just like, oh, no, I'm a going to say, Oh, all right, wait a minute yeah, we can't beat you, <laughs> you've, you've, you've got more stuff than us. So they understood, and I understood them, and I, and I could understand that the, the world that they were growing up in, in terms of violence and battering against, you had to speak. And when you kind of opened up and you engaged, some teenage boys went, God, I, all right, I'll speak to you, and I am still not going to be up. So it went on this is um one of the defining moments in my life I went for um I'd always wanted to work in football and I, I decided i have seen a job for the, the Scottish FA done about coaching I'd been involved in football so on but this was the this was the ultimate I was to get back and I went for the interview and of course this is where someone won the cup in 87 so 2006 um I get a job interview and I um go along and it's one of those moments where you think I wonder if I can Wonder if I can get my Everest moment. And I parked in the car park and it was a wee bit early, and I decided, you no, know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna make the walk that I made in eighty seven back. So I walked up, walked around the train station, and just walked back the same way that I'd walked in eighty seven with my dad and his friends round to the game. And at that one moment, everybody always says, ah, "Did it really happen?" I say, "Aye, my dad walked with me, and I felt his presence at that one moment in my life. I felt him." over i felt his hand on my shoulder and i held him as i walked back up these stairs i'm saying you just have to believe what a beautiful
0: gift yeah it is and it's just that one
1: moment i got the job and and you know something that's 15 odd years ago but i'm privileged i feel i'm a custodian of the job because i get to do things and i get to help an environment where where i've where i've never um been been before and i want to finally just share this this one last story because i think when I've worked in an industry, you know, I've got to change. I've got to help. I've got to speak out about things because it, I've got a platform to do that, and I, I'm very privileged to doing that because I think my life is the same as a lot of people's lives. You just sometimes need a wee pull up, or you need somebody to pat you in the back, or you need somebody around the movie to say, "Right, that's okay." So. To, to, to give you this bit, which is quite a quite a funny, emotional story that, that I share with a lot of people, because I think it ties the, the whole thing together. A lot of people maybe know, maybe not, or know Royal the Rovers. Royal the Rovers, when I was growing up in something it was a huge comic. it's a massive comic book, and my dad would buy it every week for me. And I think it maybe be accepted that he could go for a couple of cans of, <laughs> of beer if he bought me this book. So he would come home. But I really liked Royal the Rovers, because although I struggle to read, that this was a comic book that enticed me because it was football and I I would sit down and I would actually do it so it actually helped me I really appreciate my dad bought it it bonded us it got us through um, some difficult periods in our lives and and I just absolutely love it it's been rebooted so now my son reads it and so on and so forth so I'm going to tell you this little cut cut story because I think it kind of it, it ties a lot of the things up that, that, that are quite appreciate me. I helped take my, my son's football team now, and I'm, I'm, I'm really honoured about that, and I, and I came always by saying to him, do you want me to take your football team? Yes. And I said to him, the one moment you don't want me to it, you tell me. He said, no, I love you. you team. So I've been doing it for a number of years. Me and him are both Mun fans. I think if my dad did it to me, you have to do it to him, because it's just the way that you have to do stuff, and uh, he has to, he to carry that cross now um, as well. So, we went through a lot of tribulations, can I just say, we, we were watching St Martin. it's been quite a tough life, as we get beat more often than we win. However, we play a game on a Friday night, we're playing Celtic, Celtic are undefeated, they have not lost a game under Brendan Rodgers for a number of months, and we're playing, we're bottom of the league, we have no way getting now, so we've been released, but it's a Friday night, and we train with his local team on a Friday night. So I say to him, I say, me man, you've got to pick, he either can go to the St Martin game, or you can go to your training, and he went, I want to do both. And I went, well, you can't do both because it's impossible. And he went, well, you'll need to work that out. And I went, well, he says, I want to do both, so you'll need to work it out. And I thought, alright, i either need to get a DeLorean, or I'll need to try and just... So went they train in the start of training, done a little bit, jumped in the car, brought every land speed record we could, threw every red traffic light we could, and just got out of the game. Because that's what he saying. And I thought, well, it's important. So we went in the game. It's an evening. It's a Friday evening. It's a, I think it was like a November or something. It was really dark and cold. And am are there and it's a big crowd. And Celtic haven't beaten beating the room. Celtic, a man sent off in the first 10 minutes. Down to 10 men. We hold on for dear life. We kick balls off our lines. We, I think at some point fans stole the footballs just to make sure. And we get a nothing each draw. Now, it doesn't seem like very much but it was our moment it was just a defining moment my son went mental he's shouting at the ball and he's yes I cannot believe we've done we it I'm thinking it's not like a deal man. we're still battling the league and we might get relegated but you know something that means a lot to you. so we get back in the car he's hyper he's like ah. and I'm thinking well this is what it means it's a bond it's a moment it's it's just it's just lovely we get in the car, he's hyper, he's banging the roof, we're just singing on the way up the road and I'm going, calm down, calm down, we've got to get in the house and your sister will wait, calm down, you wait, your sister, oh, can I get up a drink a milk, can I go, get... I ain't worry. you need get milk and toast when you get in, don't worry. In the driveway, out the car, there's your milk and toast, when you read me a chapter book. About... when you read me, a... oh, calm down, you're going to get me into series, bother you with your mum your sister. Up we go, neighbor we're lying in his bed, put the light on, glass of milk, drink a toast, nae hassles. and um, we're reading Royal Rovers. So I get a book out. He's sailed down now, and I'm reading through the through the book now. People might or might not know the next bit, but if you know the iconic Royal Rovers, there was some very iconic characters, and there were big people who played a lot of my, my um, part of my life because it made you dream and you could kind of think you want to be. Him. And one of them was Hamish, um, no, was was Mighty Moose, sorry. Um, and Mighty Mouse was a character that was really good at dribbling, and a bit overweight, just didn't look like an archetypical football player, very clever, doc- I was a doctor but played part-time football, just it, what you can write in a comic book of course, you can do whatever you want, and I turned the page and the new manager of Mailchester Rovers was Mighty Mouse and this just hit me like a tsunami and just at that one moment the whole world stopped and just all these positive moments came flooding back about my dad buying it, about the 87 cup final, but all these good things and I'm sitting there with my son and I'm thinking, oh my God, the world is, is a strange place and, and thinking about the negative things and where you came from and all of that and just this positive moment that had happened and I just couldn't read. I just started to stutter and well up and I was like, oh my God, I'm never going to get through the next couple of lines and I, I really, really struggled. And then bizarrely, a voice just appeared and started to read and it was my son, he realized that that one moment in my life that I couldn't read on He read to the end of the chapter, he closed the book, he kissed me in the top of the head and went, isn't football great? I went, mean, <laughs> what is that? He, man, it's absolutely like
0: father like son, yeah.
1: Like, like society, like moments you need to be together to show love, to show respect, to show kindness and you have it through something that might be completely different. I went back through it in my room and I thought, oh my God, the, there is just an opportunity to do things in life if you believe and if you work together and if you show respect and you show kindness. So these are some of the things that um, that I have over the years um, learned. Um, and I think they're just some of the bullet points that I, I live my life by, But which is you always have to ask for help. It's a really embarrassing thing to do sometimes. And sometimes you don't want it. you will drive about for hours rather than going in the window and going, uh, do you know where that place is? But you, you should always ask for help. You should always put your hand up and say, can you help me out? Because sometimes, more often than not, somebody will have an answer for you or they'll help you or you'll support you or, or they'll do something. You're never alone in life, ever. There's everybody, there's me, you, there's a whole host of people out there. And as soon as you say to somebody, can you give me a wee help? They'll nine times out of ten say, me one no will do it. I think that those two other ones about the, that hard work and that aiming high are some things that everybody should live by. You should always aim high. You might aim for the sun and just drop all you back, but why not? Why not try and push yourself to there? But it does take dedication. It takes hours. It takes time. And when people say, oh, but I feel, have you actually did as hard as, or as best as you can? And don't look for somebody else to do it. Look for you to do it. And I think that's what I learned. That I had to realize that the long, hard hours at uni, everything takes me two hours longer than MDLs, But I have to accept that. I have to work a little bit harder than MDLs to get to even the level playing field. And then I have to work a little bit harder to even get that one more bit of them. I think I've always put down there about never being embarrassed. I'm, I'm dyslexic. I struggle with it. I, I do that. We all have embarrassing things and sometimes we don't want to speak about them. And, and the last one I think is, is, is really... Is really pertinent, which is that more voices can make a difference in society. If we all say one positive thing, or we all help, or we all back that one person up, we make a difference. And if we don't, then, it's, then it won't do. So the, the, a collective unit can make a difference to, to a lot of us. And it opens
0: an island, so knowing that we are in it together is really essential, as you're saying.
1: Absolutely, and this is what I always leave empty when I always speak about these things, I always say that that hope is just a, a ridiculously wonderful powerful thing it's about like love if we have more hope in our heart we have more chance of changing society but that is about changing it it is about opening up it is about being more honest and open but are very very difficult things to do for for a lot of people um, and that's what i'll um leave you with
0: well thank you paul for sharing <laughs> that insightful in-depth take at what brought you on this journey and Mm -hmm. and what led to football saving your life it's completely pertinent to the topic um to the title um as you put it Uh, you've mentioned that you know there there are a couple of themes that um I know you and I have talked about and Mm -hmm. you've just shared with us now uh about the impact that other people have had on your life Mm -hmm. so you want to talk a little bit more about that
1: yeah, I think, I, think when, I think when you you, you look at the, the big impact that, that a lot of people have, I mean, for me growing up, it was always those particularly male volunteers in the life, the people who would, who would go that extra mile, who would always help you, who would always put an arm around you and, and have a little bit of a, a thank you to say. And I think when you look back and you reflect on your life growing up, why did they do that? Well, they did it because they cared. But they gave you that a little bit of hope, they gave you that a little bit of strength, they were always there. And sometimes it's the, the unconscious things, that, that one moment where they might pat in the back and say, you did well today. And that might have been the, the only time somebody said you did well today, because you would have maybe had the negativity at school and so on and so forth. So for me, that football or the scouts or any of those movements, they were particularly all males. And they were very strong individuals, but they had a lot of kindness. And I think those people impacting on your life make you feel ten foot tall some days. And and, and, and sometimes you just have to kind of pause and think, I wonder if I do that to somebody else. I wonder if I take the time to say to somebody, You're all right, or you're good, or are you okay or can I help you? And by doing that, you change you change somebody's life forever.
0: Absolutely. So what advice do you have for youth that are out there that can't find healthy or effective role models in their lives i think
1: i I think they're always there i think the big thing is 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 is, as i said a minute or two ago it's asking for help it's looking for it i think a lot of us will follow that kind of crowd and and see that i mean as i grew up a lot of my friends dropped out of football i just kept going and going and going because I, i it was it was a positive to me so sometimes in life you're going to have to make that decision to not follow the crowd and go, I'm going to go my other way. Why did I leave the shipyard? Because I probably thought if I was sitting here today that I probably would have used alcohol more or I probably went down a different path. And I thought, you know something, I I can change. I can make a positive change to my life if I decide to make that positive change. Um, So I think they're the bits of advice I'd always give. Be yourself, be your individual, aim for your own. Styles, aim for your own uh, ambition in life. Cause if you do that, you end up to following your dream, not maybe five, ten, fifteen, twenty years having the regret that because you thought, Do you know something I followed that one person or I followed that one group of people? Sometimes making your own big decisions is really, really tough. But if you do them and you ask for help, the majority of times you'll actually maybe even navigate yourself through in fifteen, twenty years, something you look back and think, Well, that was the right sliding door that I went through, rather than a negative one.
0: So what would be some advice that you would give our audience members, our viewers, who have had a lot of bad experiences, especially many people that have been going through COVID and the difficulty with with uh, keeping a job actually during COVID for many people. What advice do you have to give them from the learnings that you've gained, or guidance that you'd like to give them regarding learning from difficulty? In addition to what you've already shared. No, yeah, yeah, no,
1: no, no, no. And I think that, I think I think COVID and a lot of things have, have learned that that there will always be negative. There will always be negative. There will always be moments in your life where you think this is rubbish, and people will suffer right now from bits of depression very much anxiety worrying about jobs worrying about anything else and I think the biggest bit is, is you have to believe in yourself you have to believe in that hope and belief and it is really really difficult it is really difficult but if you continually to try and work hard ask for that bit of help not be embarrassed to go and ask for help or show support you will get through it and i think it's about changing i speak to a lot of people and i think maybe that the battle we've had with this horrible horrible illness it's been about and covid has been impactful on a lot of people is maybe it's the time that a lot of people will look and say i have to self-evaluate myself and say well am i going in the right direction in my life or where i would like to be and can i make the positive changes or because for me and my family and maybe that's the bit that, that hopefully as we come out our end people will say no, I don't want to go back into that particular battle that I have with alcohol, or I have with overworking, or with anything else that's there. And they're really, really tough decisions to make in your life, but sometimes making those big fundamental changes, people simply going out for a walk just now, clears your mind, makes you feel good, relaxes you a little bit, and you go, do you know something? The world isn't as bad as I thought. And if you ask for help, it becomes half of that again. And I think the other big bit's about maybe pausing and trying your best to make the decisions that maybe not be that easy right now, maybe not even be that easy for six months' times, but maybe in three years' time you'll look back and think, I'm glad I did that. And that, 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 that for me, that's trust me, there was moments in my student flat when I thought, What the heck have I done? That's just mental. Why am I at four in the morning here trying to write an essay? I could be working with demutrich and money. And here I'm eating beans and toast, and I've eaten beans and toast now for the last seven weeks because I don't have any money. But every time you reevaluated, you went, No, keep pushing forward, keep pushing forward. And it's hard. I know it's hard, but you've got to believe and you look for people to help you with that. And I've got a number of people around about me that when I'm really struggling, I'll go and say, I'm Going to give me a wee help. And I think that's the most important things that you can ever do in life.
0: Absolutely. Two more quick things. Yes, what do think- advice do you have uh, for the dads out there? Um, how to connect with their kids if they haven't been able to take advantage of this one-on-one time with the family for whatever reason what advice do you have for them to to find really amazing ways to connect especially with their sons yeah I I think that I think that
1: I mean sometimes I'm not the the best attire I'm working just now because I'm working through the whole time and sometimes I don't but learning those moments of, of what they enjoy don't perceive your stuff onto them I think that's the thing it's I've learned quite considerably over here to to step back and I'm not that great at it and I'll be brutally honest about that but I'm learning I'm I'm learning and I think that bit about engagement conversation not shouting sometimes your way is the wrong way and know that you're the adult sometimes your way isn't the right decision and sometimes you need to listen and I think I, I I think what one thing I've learned is, and, and my wife and I have both probably seen that is they learn differently. Our kids learn different. They engage different. Our daughter learns differently to our son. They like to do things differently. Um, there's been bizarre things when they say, "Can you put the telly on while I'm while I'm doing my my school work?" And you think, "No, do your school work. Telly's off." Actually, when you put the telly on, they work harder because they like the background noise they like just to have that wee bit of environment and they work through it my son blasts through his work quite happy wee bit of telly in the background but he blitzed it no problem at all because he's got an end goal he knows he's got something at the end of that and he goes my daughter might work in a completely different way so it's learning the small things that you might not like you might you might not like fortnite they like fortnite
0: <laughs> yeah they love fortnite and minecraft and everything else under the sun
1: thought, But think about some of the things that they are doing that's communicating with our friends are doing things everything in moderation is okay absolutely don't think of things as negative think of ways in which you can turn that thing into a positive for them whether that's communicating or whether that's just knowing that they're in a safe space and they feel good about themselves because everybody has to feel good about themselves and everybody has to learn some way in an environment that they feel good about themselves whether or not that's completing something in Minecraft, doing something in Fortnite, one moment in their day that it has to be positive for them. And sometimes you don't understand that until you until you really step back and listen. And that's maybe the biggest thing is just listening to people.
0: Amazing way to end. I just want to say and reaffirm the, the message that your dad left you with to believe to believe in our children, to believe in their potential, to remind them to believe in themselves Mm -hmm. as we also need to learn to believe in ourselves as well. And when we mirror it, just like when we listen, when we acknowledge that we might not have the best way all the time, um, we give our children the permission to know that everybody's fallible and fallibility or mistakes are not the end of the world. It's a gift for us to learn and to grow. So with that said, any parting points on belief
1: yes I, I think i think if you if you if you just dig down and you believe and you aim for the stars and you just seem to believe in yourself sometimes it'll take a long while but it'll be one moment you'll wake up and you'll go wow i did it and for me get my university degree for example might not, i actually don't even think it's you know for me get my hnsd for example it might not have been everybody's the everest moment for me there was one moment where i went i've completed something So sometimes you just have to believe in the small things, and sometimes the small things just grow into massive things. And it's it's a good it's a good thing to do. Believe in yourself sometimes.
0: Absolutely, thank you so much, Paul. Um, We're going to have to have you back because we haven't even covered (laughs) the dyslexia or their learning capabilities or the amazing other work that you do with youth and and footballers too. So um, we're definitely bringing you back. um, so before, um, before we, we uh, close, let me just invite everyone to continue to watch the um, upcoming um, uh, recording of this Zoom Live and all of our other Zoom Lives, as well as our new release of episode, um, uh, the episode on racism that we just covered last month um, for the Genuine Men's Chat Show. We also have our podcast and uh, for both the Zoom Live and our Genuine Men's Chat show. Share, like, and follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Join the Genuine Men's Chat Facebook group to, to join other men in the discussion of this amazing topic. Remember, our motto in 2020 is many men, many conversations. Have you taken your seat at the table yet?